Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, so to be joined by Rex. In this week's show, we'll talk about Sergio Garcia's ineligibility the European Ryder Cup team. Tom Kim's potential following his win at the Shriners. Liv's final individual event of its inaugural season. And most importantly, we're going to talk about me and my new golf clubs. But first... John Rahm earned his third Spanish Open win on Sunday, where he averaged over 335 yards per drive. That's Hoggard-esque. With Callaway's Rogue ST in the bag, Rogue's ST's industry-leading innovations include a tungsten speed cartridge for increased speed, stability, and forgiveness. The jailbreak speed frame also provides stability for even more speed across the face. And an AI-designed flash face promotes lower spin and increased forgiveness. These models are available to every player, and you can head over to KellawayGolf.com to find the driver that is right for you. Uh, Speaking, Rex, of KellawayGolf.com, I do have a bit of an update. Uh, Longtime followers of the podcast, uh, in particular in the year 2022, have followed me uh, on this journey. Uh, I have been beset uh, with elbow issues over the past couple of, year, of years. I had a very unfortunate circumstance uh, before I played the Monday after the Masters at Augusta National warming up on the range. I think it was like a nine iron or pitching wedge. Took a divot, uh, sent shockwaves up my right arm uh, and proceeded to slap it around over the next four and a half hours at uh, Augusta National. That was an incredibly unfortunate scenario. So now I'm now in the market for new irons, uh, probably because of general ineptitude, uh, but also to prolong my golf career. I cannot uh, persist. I cannot endure. I cannot go on like this with so much pain. I'm in the market for new irons. And, and you just did this recently, Rex. I, I believe you were at Lake Nona. Uh, you did some testing. Uh, you, said you, you, said, you said you almost fainted, right? It was like a two or, two or three hour rain session. Can you... Can you fill me in? Well, what happened is I, I went over for a fitting and there was a, like, there's some writers ahead of me, Jason Sobel being one of the writers ahead of me. And what happened is, you know me, I'm very impatient when it comes to these kind of things. So I, I got there a little early and the guy doing the testing was a little late. And so essentially what I did is I sat on the range and just couldn't help myself. And I just pounded balls for an hour before I actually got around to actually getting in underneath the tent and on the monitor and start launching and start tracking and the whole, whatever it is that he, the magic that he does. And he, he did it really, really well. By the end of it, man, I was done. Like he, he wanted me to, you know, we, we were, it was a fitting for a driver. And then he's like, well, you want to try to get fitted for three wood. And I was like, I'd give a shot. And then at the end of that, he goes, well, how, you know, how do you feel about maybe a rescue wood exhausted sweat dripping off my nose I'm, I'm on a knee, like I'm doing the Tebow. Like I, I, just, I couldn't. I was like, nope, I'm out. I, I had to tap out. I, I'm, I'm done. So that, so that was that was an outdoor testing session. I had the, I had the benefit of like a 70 degree air conditioned uh, indoor simulator, and I'm sure you've done this as well. You get inside a simulator, and all of a sudden you think you're Hulk, and you can just start smashing it as hard uh, and as violently as you want. You're because you're basically chasing you're chasing numbers. Like I know, so they, they have you hit seven irons if you're doing iron testing. And I know I hit my seven iron between 170, 175 yards. And so you just chase 
trying to hit that. Maybe, hey, this is new technology. You should be able to squeeze a little bit more. And so then you just start swinging out your shoes. You start violently hooking. And so I've done this process now twice over the past week. The poor folks at uh, PJ Tour Superstore. A shout out to my man, Gabe, uh, who patiently went uh, through uh, an exhausted list of heads and shafts uh, trying to find me uh, the right combination. Rex, I think I've settled on the Callaway Golf Club's that, uh, first of all, did not produce any pain, and second of all, uh, are going to allow me uh, to, to potentially chase a U.S. mid-amateur title. And that is the Apex 21 Black Irons. I sent you a screenshot. They're absolutely sick. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about, since you are uh, of an advanced age, uh, I am going to be playing now a graphite shaft in my irons. I know. You're speechless. I was shocked as well. I, I mean, it, it, I'm not. I'm not speaking. We talked about this. I mean, it, it, we, we're, uh, we're both, well, I'm certainly of an age, but you're coming of age that that's the iron you should play. Like, just stop trying to push yourself. Stop trying to pretend. Just play what you should. You'll enjoy the game more. And I don't want to turn this into a commercial, but you're absolutely right. You're, you're going to enjoy the game more. And that's the whole point of this. I scoffed at it. I made all the same old man <laughs> jokes. He said, he said, you don't understand, uh, mere peasant. Uh, <laughs> What, what happens is now apparently graphite shafts have so much more technology. They can basically mimic the characteristics of steel just like gussied up. Like they can really make these things as fancy and as specific as you want. And so I'm going to be playing an extra stiff 100 gram graphite shaft in my irons. Folks, don't at me. Uh, I understand how this probably sounds to you, uh, but this is the direction Adam. I've gone. I've gone Good. at age 35. Uh, it, you're, you're making this sound worse than it is. I think your man gave, I don't think you gave, Pontevedra gave uh, enough love in this process. You, you, he's not going to steer you wrong. And let's be clear, when you do this, my son uses the PGA Tour Superstore here in Orlando as his own personal driving range. He just goes over and wants to hit balls and see how far he can hit them. They know exactly what they're doing. They can dial you in. The one thing that anyone that ever comes up to ask me that I want to start playing golf, what should I do? Should I get a lesson? First things first, go get fitted. Like, just go get fitted. You don't have to spend a million dollars. You on cannot club, just, do this off the rack. Like, I never would have found this shaft in a million years had it not been for my man Gabe at PJ Tour Superstore. And, and shout out to Gabe. Let's tell And it, it, it's the simplest, easiest way for you just to start the process. That, yeah, we all want to get better. We're all chasing. We're all trying to hit the ball further. We're trying to hit it straighter. And the best thing to do in that process is go to the Superstore or go to your local range or go to a fitter and get fitted. Because then – He'll tell you the same thing that anyone else will tell you. Okay, now you have to practice. And no one's going to do that. But you love going to the superstore and you love getting fitted for new stuff. I do. Shout out to Gabe. Uh, a specific shout out to Ethan uh, over at Ethan. Callaway who is helping me out. Love Ethan. What a great guy. Uh, he is uh, definitely Ethan, helping me out here. Do me a favor. Shout send me Ethan's uh, email so I can send him a thank you email as well. Nope. Ethan is my friend uh, and I will not be sharing any of my friends. No new friends for Rex. Uh, but that concludes... Uh, this portion of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf in particular. And make sure you guys listen over the next month because once these irons arrive, uh, once my game completely turns around, once my elbow pain all but disappears, uh, I will be a very happy podcaster. We are recording this podcast on Wednesday, October 12th, two days before the start of the Live event in Saudi Arabia. It's the final individual event on the live schedule of course in a couple weeks time trump Doral 50 million dollar team championship but there was some news with one of the livers 
That is Sergio Garcia to the surprise of no one. He was officially fined by the DP World Tour uh, for his no-show uh, after withdrawing. Uh, after the first round of the BMW PJ Championship, the DP World Tour's flagship event, of course, he was then photographed on the sidelines of the Texas-Alabama game. He gave no reason for his withdrawal. That didn't sit well. Of course, he was fined. But the bigger news is that he appears poised, Rex, and you broke this uh, story for GolfChannel.com, to forfeit his DP World Tour membership. The reason, he has played just three events on the European circuit. In order to maintain membership, you need to play four. And he is not in the field next week at the Majorca Open. So that means if he is no longer a member of the European Tour, that means he is ineligible for next year's Ryder Cup. This has been a big story over the past couple of months. What was Luke Donald going to do? What was going to be decided in a court in February 2023? And now it's almost been taken out of Luke Donald's hands. Sergio Garcia is not eligible for the Ryder Cup. The 2023 Ryder Cup will go on, Rex, without the all-time leader in Ryder Cup points. There's such a good joke, and I'm sitting here racking my mind trying to figure out that he raced home from London to that University of Texas game where they got beat by Alabama. Like, there's got to be a joke there, but it's just escaping me at the moment. I don't know who would fly 5,000 miles to go watch that game. But uh, I guess the, the part that stood out to me, and, and I covered the BMW PGA, and so I, I did. he did not give a good reason, and by their regulations, he is going to be fine. They won't tell you how much the fine is. I will say that if we all remember – Thursday of the BMW PGA is when Queen Elizabeth II passed away and they didn't play at all on Friday. And there was, there was a, the thought among many, many players that they weren't going to play at all. And I, I remember us having this conversation on the pod the next week that it was very touch and go for a long time that if they were even going to finish that event, I'm not making excuses for Sergio. He, he should have given a reason. However, in this particular case, there was, I talked to Richard Bland. Thursday night after the queen had passed away. And he, he told me on camera that he's packed, he packed his locker. He was leaving. We're not, we're not, we're not going to play again. Of course, we're not going to play. So if anything, him getting on a plane Friday was not the most egregious thing in the world. You're right. The bigger part of that news is the fact that he won't meet the four event minimum. He's played three events this year and he could have played next week in Spain, although he missed the deadline. So he won't be able to do that. The alternative is he would have to play six events and technically, he can still play six events. A lot of things have to fall into place. The biggest part of that, though, would be he'd have to play the Portugal Masters, which is the same week as the Lib Golf Team Championship well, down at the round. And that's not going to happen. Yeah, everything is contingent on everything. What little bit we know about these contracts, it's all contingent on everybody being at the big finish down in Doral at the end of this month. So, if, yes, he is going to. Because if he got fined for. For not providing an excuse for uh, the DP World <laughs> Tour event. You do not want a no-show at a live event. See what happens. What do you think that fine is going to look like? Uh, I don't want to see how many zeros are in that fine. Um, I, I, I will say that you're right. This is this is starting to shape up. And it's funny. I think we've had this conversation about Sergio before, and kind of in the context of the Bryson DeChambeau conversation that you and I had last week. Sergio, in a weird way, wants to be liked. He, he wants to be loved. He enjoys the adulation we've seen it later in his career where it's not been there and he's lashed out like it's a never been child. there it has never been there this has been one it was early and this was before your time century. well it was early and this was kind of before your time and i'm not trying to age you but th- but there was early when early in his career he was sort of this joyful 
kid. I remember walking down the streets of St. Andrews at an open one year and literally seeing him skipping down the street. He could not have been happy. He was literally skipping down the street of St. Andrews. I don't know if he drinks. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But he, that's that's the Sergio that was younger in his career. I'm not saying he was a petulant. But in this particular case, again, a lot like we talked about last week in Bryson, the love and the embrace and that joy is gone. And I'm not saying it's entirely because of live, but it has something to do with the idea that you turned your back on this. You turned your back on the ability to, to be loved in the Ryder Cup. I mean, let's be honest. It's going to hit John Rahm the hardest. He's said it, you know, many, many times. He doesn't want to play the Ryder Cup without Sergio Garcia. And now it's, it's not only likely, it seems like it's a fact. And I, I think that's hitting him harder, a lot like Bryson DeChambeau, than maybe the other players. Because this was part of his identity that's not going to be there anymore. I'm glad you brought up John Rahm because this, he has uh, signaled a couple of times, I think first beginning at the open championship, and then uh, uh, over his recent appearances uh, on the DP world tour, where he said that, Hey, he wants Sergio Garcia uh, to be allowed to play in the Ryder cup. He has now shifted that all shifted that uh, kind of attitude now to, Hey, I don't care if they're on live or not. We should just have the best European players period regardless of the tour affiliation to represent the European Ryder Cup team next year. I don't know whether John uh, is, is trying to kind of play peacemaker between two sides uh, that are clearly uh, butting heads, or if he's just speaking selfishly. I mean, he and Sergio Garcia were the lone bright spots for that European Ryder Cup team last fall at Whistling Straits. They were unbeaten together. Uh, obviously, Sergio Garcia has been one of the best foursomes players of all time. That was a ready-made partner for John Rahm. And now he's basically going to have to start from scratch uh, next year when we get to Rome, Italy. So I don't, I don't know whether it's that I, I, I would actually think probably in a year's time, if you're the European Ryder cup brass, whether you're uh, captain Luke Donald or some of his assistants, you would almost rather have Eugenio Shikara who just won the most recent live event. He's 22 years old in the Spaniard as opposed to Sergio Garcia, who is in his early 40s uh, and hasn't played good golf now uh, in more than a year. You know, who knows what would happen when the Ryder Cup turns around? He seems to morph into a different sort of animal. But, you know, where do you, where do you stand on that? It almost seemed like John Rahm was speaking selfishly, and he's certainly out on an island because you listen to uh, many of the other European stars, whether it's Roy McIlroy or Victor Hovland. Matt Fitzpatrick is kind of... Uh, kind of rode the fence on, on this issue saying uh, he wasn't, you know, decisive one way or another, those by and large, those guys do not want live players uh, on this European Ryder cup team. And in particularly Sergio Garcia. Now it's, it's kind of taken out of his hands. It is. And that kind of surprises me because if you're doing this from a tactical point of view, and let's face it, this is all being done from a tactical point of view, everything that happened last week with live golf and, the, the partnership with the Minotaur declaring that, okay, we get world ranking points now. Well, no, that's not the way it works. You don't say something and, and make it true, but it's all very, very tactical. Like they're moving in a very specific direction, a direction that's probably going to end up as a lawsuit. And so when you have a player like Sergio Garcia, who you're right, would have had a dog in this fight one way or the other next year, when it comes to the Ryder cup, he, he might not even have been playing very, very well. We're assuming that it's a Ryder cup year. He turns it around. I don't know if that's a safe assumption or not, but certainly it would have been a loud drum beat and John Rahm would have been banging that drum the loudest because again, selfishly, he wants Sergio there by his side to take your name out of it, to walk away. It is a bit 
of a surprise. It's almost as if he doesn't want this fight. And it goes to what I think I just said, where there is a part of him that doesn't like to be the villain. And he's been the villain a lot in his career. But I think deep down inside, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it when people heckle him. I mean, he certainly didn't like it at Beth Page when they were you know, counting down for the waggle. And there's been plenty of instances over the course of his career where he's lashed out. And that's not because he likes to be the villain or that's not because his personality just requires it. It's because he wants to be the guy that, that hears the cheers, not the jeers. And in this particular case, I think maybe he's walking away because he doesn't want to hear any of it. And that to me is kind of sad, but you're right. It's the bigger picture of John putting a voice to this is one of the very first cracks in all this, right? Because John has been dedicated in his support to the PGA tour, his, his fealty. Uh, I would argue that what Rory did uh, two weeks ago at the Dunhill, when he was asked specifically a rankings question and should live events get rankings. And, and he, he stood the line and said, no, you know, they can't expect it, that they can't expedite the process. But then he was asked specifically about Dustin Johnson and would, should just Dustin Johnson drop outside of the top 100 in the world. Even Rory pushed back like, no, that makes no sense in my mind. And so you are starting to see these cracks, however small and however insignificant, maybe in others minds where there is some ground that, it seems like both sides is willing to give and to take a little bit. In my mind, that's good for the game. I love, I love the DJs become like the barometer. So if like his, if, if his world rank, I think, I believe he's down to 24th in the world. Uh, and he hadn't been playing well at the beginning of this year. You know, who knows how much of a, that, of a distraction live was at that point to, to kind of, um, you know, parlayed into his poor play. That's, that's uh, just speculation. On our part, but it's like, okay, if DJ drops outside the top 50, if DJ drops outside the top 75, if DJ's not a top 100 player, like the entire system needs to be blown up because this is a generational player. This is a guy who's a lifetime member on the PGA Tour, is a two time major winner. Like, if this guy, if Dustin Johnson is not a top 50 player, then it's absolutely ridiculous. I love how we have uh, totally shifted to that. It is another week on Live Rex. And of course, that means then another wave of players who have come into the media tent. Uh, over at Live Golf, and they complain that um, the uh, world ranking system is not moving quick enough, whether it's uh, this new MENA alliance and whether the review there, uh, whether they should be getting world ranking points by teaming up with uh, a tour that is already accredited by the official world golf ranking or even the official application that Live Golf has submitted back in July. Typically, that process takes up to a year or two. Uh, the, the thinking obviously Rex and, and Graham McDowell pointed this out uh, on Wednesday over in Saudi Arabia is that the longer this process takes, the more it impacts these players, because if they are not receiving world ranking points, they are about to free fall down the rankings. And so let's say that the official world golf ranking decides to uh, grant uh, this application and rubber stamp them for world ranking points beginning in late 2023. Well, by that point, it might not matter. All of these players' rankings have fallen so much that the strength of field in live events is going to be minuscule, and none of these guys, barring like some sort of crazy hot streak in the individual race, are going to be able to make up any ground and thus will be ineligible for the major championships. I have to give a tip of the cap, though, to Harold Varner because every player, whether it's Bryson DeChambeau, Graham McDowell, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, whoever it is, says, hey, yeah, we need these points. Uh, look at the strength of the field we have. It's 12 of the top 50. Harold Varner today, Rex, strolled into the media center alongside Dustin Johnson and Graham McDowell, who have been pleading, even demanding, 
world ranking points. And he said, quote, we knew what we were getting into. I think it's easy to sit here and say what could happen, what should happen. But obviously for me, I knew what was going to happen. It wasn't going to be easy. Honestly, I could care less. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew what could happen in my career. And I accept that. That is not towing the line from what we've seen live golf, who have been adamant that this process should be fast-tracked for them because of this new player, because of strength of the field, even though they're not following the process that has been set forth by every other tour that has submitted an application with the world ranking. Who's right? I kind of, I kind of believe both of these guys. Like Harold Varner is right. These guys knew what they were getting into. If you thought that this was going to be easy, if you thought that this was going to be quick, then you've been listening to Greg Norman and your agent did a terrible job of vetting this scenario. On the other hand, should it take a year or two to review this and to, to render a decision either way on whether they should be granted world ranking points? No. I feel like this is such a unique player that six months, let's say, uh, is more appropriate as opposed to a year or two. Where do you fall on this? Uh, first off, I can imagine a PR guy for Liv Goff listening to that press conference and like no, immediately no, start no, rifling, no. Uh, rifling through his, his uh, manual of, no, these aren't talking points. That's not what he was supposed to be saying. Uh, that's very, very jaded. I apologize. Um, I will point out that Cameron Smith actually moved up in the rankings this week. He moved up from third to second. <laughs> so all of this, math. it's math. math. Hashtag math. I don't, uh, I don't pretend to understand it. It has something to do with the divisor. I tweeted it. Everyone came at me, so I'm just going to leave it alone. Um, no, no, I'm not with you on that one. I think Harold spoke what everyone else either should have believed or wasn't told to believe that this is a very, very simple process. And, and look, I'm sitting here making fun of the world ranking about hashtag math, but they've been very, very upfront about this process right from the beginning, long before Liv Goff ever wanted to get on the scene. These were sort of the criteria that you, the hoops you have to jump through to be included in the official world golf ranking. Just because you show up with this unique product and all the money in the world doesn't move you to the front of the line. And I would even counter saying that, yes, I think one year, a prove it year, let's call it, one prove it year is exactly fair enough. Because what are you just going to show? What if this conversation was at this time last year? And they hadn't played any events. And we're not having this conversation. Because it's like, no, we haven't seen you hit a, hit a golf ball. You haven't held a tournament. Of course we're not going to do this. Technically, this is kind of a you know, proof of concept. So does that, so does that then start in June? Because yes. They, they no, launched, no, no. They I would, launched in early June. Or, or is 2023 next year. the official the start year. of the yep, live schedule? At that point, then 2024, you can yes. render a verdict. Because then you just have to prove it year. I think that's it. I think next year's the prove it year. It's a full schedule. The phrasing in the official world golf ranking, when I talked about inclusion, that you have to be sort of audited for an entire year. I guess that's where we could have a conversation. Has it been an entire year already? You know, once we get through Doral and the Live Golf Tour Championship, or would next year when, in theory, there's going to be 14 events by all accounts? Uh, either one of those things I'm fine with. I I'm good with it. But this process was really, really clear cut. And I guess the part that got me... The most last week, and, and I hate doing this because this is this is the, the trap that it seems to me the worst trap I could possibly fall in. But this is it doesn't matter how many times you say something and it doesn't matter how loud you say that thing. It doesn't make it true. And this was a perfect example of how Liv Goff has tried to control the narrative that last week they just announced 
we have a we have a partnership with essentially this mini tour and because they get world ranking points now we get world ranking points well no that's not the way it works and you can keep saying it and you can keep being loud about it and certainly there's legal recourse and i'm sure that's where we're headed but in this particular case it is not they've been very very clear about what this process is and just because you choose not to follow it just because you see the writing on the wall again hashtag math that the longer this takes the further your guys fall in the world ranking. Apparently not. Apparently Cam Smith's going to be first by the end of the year. But outside of Cam Smith, everyone else is just going to tumble down these rankings. And then, as you pointed out, it's going to be self-perpetuating. And by the time, if you do get world ranking points, you won't get it. I mean, they won't be, it'll be worth three points to the winner, just like a Minotaur event. And then at that point, it wasn't worth the fight. I mean, this is not the first time that Greg Norman, I'm not saying he's being outright dishonest, but he's certainly been misleading. I think back to the text message he sent to Sergio Garcia in February saying the PJ Tour couldn't, sus- couldn't, sus- couldn't suspend them for a day, uh, let alone for life. And here we are uh, embroiled in a lawsuit that won't even be heard until uh, 2024, in which case these players are indefinitely suspended, thinking that these guys are going to be getting world ranking points quickly and immediately uh, flies in the face of what we know about how the process works. And so if these agents are listening to Greg Norman and Greg Norman solely and not doing their own vetting uh, or drawing their own conclusions. Uh, shame on them because they misled their that's player. Where, this, should have, this should have been a surprise to no one. That's where, and that's going to be a story, a, a 30 for 30 or a Netflix special, whatever the case may be. That's going to be fascinating to me when the time comes because it's the agents. And of course, Norman's going to try to mislead and he's going to try to obfuscate because that's the position he was in from the beginning. He knew how this was going to play out. He, now he I'm sure he hoped it wasn't going to play out like this. It's the agents who, and I've heard this got, get brought up in a couple of different conversations, malpractice, where, and it goes on both sides, where it's clear that some of these players, I'll use Taylor Gooch as the perfect example. The idea that he thought he could play that very first event and then just come back like nothing had changed, that's comical to me. Everyone knew. I mean, my wife knows. I mean, the bunkmate knew. And she knows nothing else about golf, but she knew that if you went and played that, that very first live event, even if you don't have a contract, you're not going to be welcome back or you're at least going to have to serve some sort of suspension. And so either Taylor Gooch chose not to listen to whatever his agent told him or he was given bad information. Now, the other side of this are agents who have chosen in this process not to at least have conversations with live golf. And I've, I've been told that there's agents who have done that as well. That, in my opinion, is also malpractice. Because in this particular case, you're not even trying to talk your client into anything. It's your job is to do the best you possibly can for your client. And in this particular case, maybe live golf isn't it, but at the very least, you need to have the conversation. A little bit, little bit of leverage can go a long way. Is that what you're suggesting? It's not even leverage. It, it, this is business. I mean, it, I want my agent to be looking out for my best interest, not the PGA Tour's best interest. And that's not going to com- come across very well. I understand that. But it, my agent's representing me in this particular case. And even if I've made it clear I have no interest to go to Live Golf, the agent probably still needs to have a meeting with whoever, Greg Norman or anyone else at Live Golf, just to say, are you interested in my man? And if so, what are we looking at? And at, at that at that place, that's that, point, that's been that's been my point the whole time. With just if you if you look even beyond the agents, like this entire problem probably could have been avoided, or maybe not avoided, but it would have. I believe that wholeheartedly there would have been a different outcome had Jay Monahan the PG Tour merely talked absolutely. to Greg Norman and the golf Saudi officials, just talked to them, whether it was back in 2019, 2020. Last year, whatever the case may be, just talk to them, see what they want to do, see what they're proposing, see if there's any sort of way that both parties can benefit. Instead, 
they just both turned the other way and ran in their separate directions. And now you have a world golf that has been splintered and fractured, uh, probably beyond repair. Uh, no, and I've argued that along. And look, it wasn't going to be Norman. I mean, that that was always going to be a non-starter. That that Norman was always going to be the thorn in the tour side, and and neither Jay nor anyone else was going to meet with him. But there could have been some sort of backdoor communication. And I've argued all along that maybe you they get in the room together and live golf proposal what they want, and it simply is not going to work for the PGA Tour, and we all walk away and we're in this exact same position. Or Maybe they propose something and the tour counters, no, that's not going to work for us. And it's, well, how about if we do 10 events in the fall and four in the summer? Well, now all of a sudden we can have a conversation. And I I think that's where, when this is all said and done, that's where the one thing that the tour may have done differently is going to come back to haunt them. Yeah, I agree. I still think there is some sort of resolution that could be hashed out, whether it's they completely seed the fall to live and then sprinkle in some of these live events throughout the spring and the summer. That is very much... Uh, TBD to kind of button up this point on the world ranking. If live, they they just need to try and meet the OWGR halfway in some respects. Whether it's you know just sitting back and operating for a year, which is one of the main criteria. Maybe it's uh, implementing a thirty six hole cut. Maybe it's having a more defined pathway uh, to tournaments, since those kind of appear to be uh, the main sticky points and in, in something that they don't uh, meet the world ranking criteria for like they have to start playing ball a little bit, as opposed to just uh, holding it and crying uh, that they're being treated unfairly Uh, switching gears a little bit Rex over on the PJ tour. Tom Kim uh, did something that has not been done uh, since Tiger Woods. And that is win twice before the age of 21. He outdueled Patrick Cantley down the stretch. Cantley imploded uh, on the 72nd hole. If you missed it, making triple bogey, to seed the stage to young Tom Kim. We were a little bit hard on him. I thought the President's Cup, there was a lot of uh, style, uh, not a ton of substance, at least until uh, we got uh, until Saturday. And now he is now a two-time winner on the PGA Tour. Heads over to Japan for the Zozo Championship. So let's dig a little bit deeper, Rex, on Tom Kim, all the way up to 15th in the world. I don't think you or I uh, had been paying attention to him uh, basically until July when he nearly stole the Scottish Open. All he did since then, uh, fire 62 to capture the Wyndham Championship, uh, which qualified him for the FedEx Cup. And then he was the breakout star of that President's Cup. What do you think his potential is? What do you think his ceiling is? What do you think Tom Kim, young Tom Kim, age uh, 20 Tom Kim, can do in his PGA Tour career? Uh, before I get to that, and, and we did this, by the way, we were on TV today. In case you guys didn't notice that uh, Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf is going to start doing a weekly segment on golf today. And I think you and I crushed it, by the way. Crushed I mean, it. You didn't, you didn't see yeah. it. I saw it. Uh, it looked great. There was no cutouts. There was no uh, buffering. Uh, I probably have to change my camera angle a little bit. But it was about five to seven minutes, which I believe was our time frame uh, that we needed to hit in this. And I thought we crushed it. I thought we were lively. I thought... Uh, I, I thought uh, it was good debate. I got to use the word stupid uh, to describe uh, your stance. I made a lot of funny faces uh, when you said something that I disagreed with. Uh, I thought it was good. You folks can listen, uh, listen in on the replay of that. Find it on golfchannel.com. We'll be doing it every single week from here moving forward. The people have, the people have spoken, and we're here to deliver. Uh, and let's don't brag too much because what the finished product was, that was actually the second take. The first take went past seven minutes, which we weren't supposed to do. It was supposed to be five to seven minutes and we blew through the seven minute stop sign and they made us. I had takes. Every, I had takes yeah, and I wasn't yeah. about to. If stop. we're being honest, 
if we're being honest, that we, we kind of blew through at that time. Uh, and, and so I do, I do have thoughts on Tom Kim. And certainly when you look at him compared to the other young stars in the game right now, and it's kind of hard to do because he can't legally drink yet. So I don't even know if he qualifies as a young star right now, but he certainly is a star. And it, I, I kind of went through it in my mind that if you lined him up, and I'll even put Will Zalatoris, and I'm a huge Will, Willie Z fan, or Cam Young. If you put them all together right now, Tom Kim has the most upside in my mind. And it has everything to do with not only is he a very, very good golfer. If you look at his game, I was kind of amazed at the things he does well, which is his iron play and his putting. And even the fact he's not a power guy, it's not as though it seems like it's going to hurt him. He seems to be right in that sort of Jordan Spieth category. where He's 105th, he's going to... Rex. Strokes gained off the tee had he had enough rounds to qualify. It's not like he's he's a long hitter. It's not like he's Will Zalatoris long. Yeah, so, so he's going to do it a different way, which in and of itself, but it's the personality. And the personality goes so far. I mean, he wins on Sunday and they kind of asked him about the experience and, and are you, you know, do you think this is going to second win on the PGA tour first player since Tiger Woods to do that before he, uh, he turned 20 years old. And his response was, I'm like a five-year-old at Disneyland. And I will be honest with you. It's been a hard year when it comes to sort of golf because I'm, I, you sort of have a hard time seeing sort of the, the joy in it, I guess is what, what I've been looking for. And I feel like it's been missing. In this particular case, he's nothing but joy, and that's enjoyable. How does he? He finishes inside the top five in the pip, ten in the pip for sure, right? Uh, this year, I don't know. That's a that is a late surge uh, to usurp some of the PGA Tours more. Tiger did it last stars, year, don't you think? I mean, I'm pretty sure Tiger surge in December is what, what pushed him over the top. No, uh, I feel like Tiger was going to be winning that regardless of whether he he showed his face at all. Uh, I mean, I'd like I'd like to see Tom Kim and Peter Tor should be bending over backwards to try and accommodate him uh, because this is a, a young star who uh, seems fully committed to the PJ Tour, uh, at least for the time being. I'd try be, I'd be trying to make him uh, extremely happy, just as I'd be trying to make Hideki Matsuyama, the defending champion, the Zozo, very happy as well. And I would also point out, and you didn't ask me about this, but just like we did for TV, I'm going to go off script on this one. I, I went back and watched that final hole a couple of times because I'm always fascinated how a player like Patrick Cantlay, who I think you and I both have described him various ways. I think I've described him as an assassin, clinical, however you want to do it. I mean, this dude, when he's rolling, can just rip your heart out. And in this particular case, to make such a mess of it, and I don't know, this is like Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Like, I, I don't know if there really was a better way of doing this. The idea there wasn't. That, there was no better way to do that. I don't think there was, because I really wanted to sit down here and be like, no, he should have done this. And I, I don't think you can. And, and I'm sure, I didn't even go to Twitter on this one. I'm sure there was a lot of opinions out there on this. But if he takes a drop, suddenly he's kind of taking par out of play. And Tom Kim's right down the middle of the fairway. You know, he's probably going to make par. So now all of a sudden uh, it, you're, you're making this mess. I, I did disagree with the idea that at some point in the stories that I read that, you know, solo second came into play. I don't think Patrick Cantley worries about solo second versus Patrick tied for Cantley second. hasn't thought about solo second about five years. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, the Ricky Bobby thing. If you're not first, you're last in this particular case. And I know there are, there are varying degrees of this, but in this particular case, come on. Like he, the only thing he's thinking about is trying to figure out a way to, to make par and he wasn't able to do it, but I guess it's still fascinating to me that, that a player of that caliber. And again, I'm not even second guessing anything he did. Cause I don't think he can, but a player of that caliber could make such a mess of the final hole. Yep, and like, he's such a consistent, such yeah. a steady, even keel player. And to see a complete unraveling uh, was certainly shocking. Look, he, he was, he was trying to figure out the best way to make four. I still think four, 
forces a playoff. Uh, Tom Kim is probably not going to go right at that pin uh, with water looming left uh, as much as he'd like to knock it 15, 20 feet right and see if he can roll uh, the birdie putt in that way. I think the argument that, oh, he should have tried to go for it or he, or he should have taken a drop was kind of reduced a little bit because so he, so he tries to hack it back towards the fairway, right? And it ends up uh, burrowing deeper uh, into the brush. When he actually took the drop then, so then he had to, he was a force unplayable. He dropped it in the native area and then he rinsed that one. He came up, you know, 30 yards short of the green because the ball was sitting down a little bit. It's sandy, it's rocky, it it was nasty. And so that's exactly the scenario that he was going to face uh, had he he tried to go that route uh, to begin with. I had no problem uh, whatsoever with the play. It was more just shocking. You would have thought the guy with one PJ Tour win uh, would perform that way uh, in the Crucible as opposed to a guy uh, searching for his ninth win. But uh, obviously the problem started with that tee shot. I was more shocked by the tee shot. Uh, a, a, a very snipey three wood into the native area. Like I felt that one. That was, I could, I could relate to you got that shot one? shape that I, that I saw on that one. That was more the surprise to me uh, than, than more kind of the decision making. I didn't think there was actually anything wrong with what he was you know, thrashing well, about in there. Yes. Cause the thing that gets me and, and we do this all the time, like once a week, we'll see someone on the PGA tour professional at the top of the game, top 1% of the 1% hit a shot that you and I are going to hit, whether if it's clanky or, you know, whatever the case may be, you just kind of, ugh, that, that that's gross. You don't see someone who's leading on Sunday. If you're leading on Sunday, you're playing pretty good golf. I mean, at that point, like you're kind of in full stride and for you to, to produce that shot, in that moment. And you've done this before. I mean, you just came from the president's cup. We had to hit plenty of those pressure shots. Well, if you pulled them off or not, it really doesn't matter at this point, but it's, so it's not as though if I'm standing on that tee for the first time, yeah, I'm, I'm going left. I'm probably heading straight in that same bush, probably a hundred yards shorter than where he was, but he's done this so many times. You're right. That's the part that surprised me. Yeah. A little bit of a hit to his uh, patty ice uh, stone cold reputation, mm-hmm. just to button up the point on Tom Kim, something I want to get into because now we've, we've veered in this territory. He's a, I mean, he's the 15th ranked player in the world. He's a, he's a historic figure. I mean, this is first time in 80 years, 90 years. Uh, we've been talking about a player uh, who has won twice uh, before the age of 21, the second youngest uh, to do it in the PGA tour era. And so now you start have, you start having to look at what can Tom Kim do in the major championships. I think you and I both agree. He already has one win under his belt this season. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. He can add another one or two before the season is out like 40, 40 weeks from now. Uh, he's that good of an iron player when you look at him statistically, but he's still kind of a major unknown finished top 25 uh, in the U S open this year. And in the now uh, deleted uh, take that we had, uh, for this golf today hit, I kind of compared him to another uh, prodigy who came out, and that was Jordan Spieth. Remember uh, back in 2013 when he splashed on the scene? He was just 19 years old, didn't begin the year with any status, just like young Tom Kim. He won the Deer, uh, wound up on that President's Cup team. The next year is when he challenged deep into the first the Players Championship, and then he nearly won the Masters. The Bubba Watson eventually won. The following year, Jordan Spieth was a two-time major championship uh, championship winner, winning both uh, the Masters and then going back-to-back at the U.S. Open. Is that the same trajectory that we could see for Tom Kim? Because now the expectations have been ratcheted up. So does he get into contention in a major, at least one major, 
2023 and then take the leap in 2024? Or does he kind of blow this timeline uh, out of the water and automatically thrust himself uh, into the mix? That's something I'm curious to see because the sample size is still uh, so small for this 20-year-old. Yeah, I hate doing this because now I'm going to be the no fun police, just like I was at the President's Cup, where I kind of balked at the idea earlier in the week that because he really hadn't done anything. He had a really good Saturday. Um, and, and you're right. What he's done has been phenomenal. And it's not only his play on the golf course, but it's that personality. It's infectious. It's joyous. Well, he's, I mean, a, he's a marketer's, marketer's dream. Absolutely. I would counter and say that Spee's greatness was, was twofold. One, it was accelerated to the point at the major championships. I mean, if you look at where he goes from zero to 60 at the major championships, it was very, very quick. And when he did it, he, he did it uh, again with sort of this personality and this sort of intellect that we could all enjoy and, and just revel in. And I would also say that, and he continues to do it. I mean, I, I go back to what uh, Justin Thomas said after I think it was their match on Saturday about playing alongside Jordan, but he also does it in a very unique, distinct way. I mean, it's not, he's not getting from point A to point B like Patrick Cantley. He is not the clinical assassin. I mean, he's going to go and he's going to chip in somewhere. He's going to hold a 50 footer. And I think that's part of the appeal. It's, it's not just that he did it and he did it fast. I'm talking about Jordan. It's how he did it. He did it with style points and I'm not taking away from uh, Tom Kim at all in this situation. He just hasn't reached that level in my mind yet. Not saying he won't. I just don't see it quite yet. Yeah. I, I I'm in total agreement with you. Like, Jordan was a, a, a ready-made prospect. Like he, he had done, he had been doing that for a decade. Like he was one of the best juniors we've ever seen. Two-time U S junior champion. Like he was a great college player, only spent a year and a half at Texas. Like he was ready to win and win right away on the PGA tour. And he showed that Tom Kim has been a pro now uh, for five years. He's still uh, very much in a deve- in developmental stage of his career. I'm not saying he won't or he can't contend uh, in the major championships, uh, I'm, I, th- I think it's just kind of a wait and see thing. Like a lot can happen in seven months. Tom Kim is one of the hottest players in the PGA tour right now. The masters does not begin uh, for six or seven months. And so uh, there's much to be figured out. Uh, much can happen. Players peak players uh, decline uh, TBD on Tom Kim Rex. What's on the grill this week? Wife's going out of town. Uh, I'm going to be uh, having a kid You're solo. in both arms. Second week in a row. Uh, we're going so hashtag uh, dad life uh, times are tough probably a knock to be manning the grill as much as I would like I'll certainly have steaks uh, for young cam who uh, really uh, loves a good loves himself a good ribeye uh, on Sunday night once the missus returns uh, so I'm gonna have to live vicariously through you some very good football games uh, Georgia Vandy uh, not so much but in that same time frame 330 over on CBS is Alabama Tennessee can't wait to sink my teeth into that one since I will not be sinking my teeth into any barbecue uh yeah that's too bad well tonight because it, it by request i'm doing smash burgers and i actually ordered oh yes yes ordered a new utensil i think i text you oh yeah no, my snapchat uh well the, the smash i don't know what you would call that the thing you actually smash the burger with it's called a press it's called a press. thank you very much folks yeah, it's called appreciate a press. That. Thank you. Uh, anyway, I was at a, at a food truck like festival in, in, here in, in Central Florida uh, this weekend. I think I sent you a snap of this. And I sat and watched the guy do it for like 30 minutes. I was just mesmerized by how he was doing it. Sort of. There, there is a technique to this. You're just not oh, smashing yeah. the burger. I did them like, on Sunday. I did them on Sunday. I did smash burgers. Did, did, I, did I send you a snappy chat? 
Uh, I believe you did. Yeah. Now you look like, see, I wanted like a, like a cast iron press and I'd found one online that I really, really want. And the bunk mate went cheap on me and got me like a, like a stainless steel one. And I don't know how happy I am with that. So we may have to circle back around and get it. Uh, make sure I'm looking forward that to that thing tonight. in aluminum foil uh, that way you can preserve the life of it. You do not want to start getting uh, some nastiness uh, chunked into your, into your press. What do you mean? Why so? Like you have, you like wrap, wrap the actual press part aluminum foil that when you press it down you can merely throw it out otherwise you're going to be starting to get some goo in there you're going to have to either spray it spray it down each time use parchment paper there's a whole bunch of technique but if you actually have the press wrap it up in in uh, aluminum foil and press down that way you can preserve the life of everything uh okay good to know anyway so i'm excited about that and we have a uh, it's senior night on friday night so i don't think i'll be we'll be doing any tailgating or barbecue before that but you're right i gotta I feel like that's i feel like that's seven. more reason to tailgate is it not senior night um that's emotional no you gotta have to dress up and you're, you're walking the kid across the middle of the field my last kid senior night for football so it, it's it's gonna be a little i mean i'm not gonna cry because I, I don't do that but i'm sure my wife i'm sure the bunkmate will uh oh, whiskey tears you love to see it. Uh, my wife went to the Jacksonville Jaguars game on Sunday. Yuck, all, of a sudden she's, all of a sudden, she's looking into season tickets. She's, she had so much fun at the tailgate. I've been researching uh, tailgating grills. We're not obviously going to get uh, uh, season tickets because that would be utterly ridiculous for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to two or three games uh, to support our local team which is uh, even more reason. I'm sure there's uh, plenty of seating still available at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously they played the lowly Texans and lost, uh, <laughs> and on lost. Sunday. She said, she said it was about half full, uh, but she had a, an absolutely great time uh, tailgating beforehand right. uh, as I was uh, changing uh, several of Lily's poopy diapers. Uh, so uh, stay tuned uh, next week, folks. I'll be at the CJ cup. Great field. Rory. Nice. JT Spieth. Uh, be on the ground there early week, at least uh, at Congaree. Uh, we'll be doing another one of these fun uh, golf today hits. I'll certainly be keeping you apprised of my mission uh, to play pain-free golf with my elbow. Thanks again to my boy, Ethan over at Callaway. But thank you guys for listening to this edition of golf central podcast presented by Callaway golf. Talk to you next week. Get at me, Ethan. <laughs> <laughs>